Now, it's Health Naturally with herbalist and natural therapist, Dennis Stewart. That's the way we like to start our Fridays. Dennis Stewart is here. Good afternoon, Dennis. You've got something a bit, bit controversial today. Well, we've got something very controversial, Mark, and a lot of people will say, what is, what is he talking about? Dennis, let's you and I get straight into it today. You mm. often talk that food is indeed the best medicine. Mm. Mm. You want to elaborate on that a little bit and talk not so much about a food but a, a particular beverage mm. that may assist in uh, the cognitive decline of ageing. Tell us more. Yeah, look... Listeners would know that one of my favourite areas of research and study is uh, that of ageing, dementia and Alzheimer's, mainly because it's <clears throat> such an accelerating disease and um, a lot of people are really struggling with it. There's a lot of research going on around the world. And listeners would know that in the past I've had a lot of mentioning of the, of the herb ginkgo biloba and I still argue that the, the evidence, uh, the use of the herb around the world does testify to that herb's potential to be of use. And that's all I will say, to be of use, uh, potentially useful in assisting the, uh, the resistance to this wretched disease. But there are other substances also that are emerging, particularly in the, in the area of, of diet and in the area of natural drugs. Um, there are a few mainstream medications that are being used, but in the area of natural medicine, there's some interest being shown in a, in a number of different herbs, some of which I'll speak about later on down the track. But interestingly, interestingly, here and there, information is, is emerging that there is perhaps a connection between resistance to dementia and Alzheimer's by the utilisation of beverages that contain caffeine. Ooh, now, now that's uh, interesting. People will raise their eyebrows at this. But I just did. <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> but when we talk about uh, caffeine, we obviously associate it with tea and we obviously associate it with coffee. Now, what people probably don't realise is that every time we drink tea and every time we drink particularly coffee, what we are actually doing is drinking an infusion, if you like, of a potent, potentially medicinal substance. People perhaps don't realise that uh, caffeine uh, extracted uh, from coffee beans, from other herbs, well-known herbs around the world, that that particular substance forms the basis of many modern drugs. Uh, so every time you drink a cup of coffee, and I see many, many people <laughs> drinking cups of coffee, I myself will enjoy uh, a wonderful cup of coffee. When I get back to my rooms after the program, I enjoy coffee. I would probably have about uh, two to three cups of double shot per day. <laughs> so there you are, listeners. But, but <laughs> I would like to think it's doing what some of the information is suggesting, that there is a correlation between the level of caffeine in the bloodstream and one's potential resistance to the onset of the symptoms of dementia and Alzheimer's. Now, there's nothing, how can I say, conclusively uh, proved about this, but I was interested to read in an article put out by the Alzheimer's Society um, talking, about, talking about a Florida study that was done in 212 uh, where it was demonstrated that there did, or there was an emergence of information that suggested 
that those people at the end of the study who were seen to have less decline in cognitive activity were shown to have a significantly higher level of caffeine in the bloodstream. Now, what does this mean? It doesn't conclusively uh, say anything other than this particular study done in Florida in 212, called up in this excellent paper by the Alzheimer's Society, is perhaps touching on something that is starting to emerge in the, in, the, in the battle against dementia and Alzheimer's that sometimes simple substances in our diet can be harnessed beneficially and the stuff that's emerging is suggesting that the regular, daily, perhaps medicinal use of coffee containing significant levels of caffeine may be a useful device to put us in a better situation as far as trying to fight the onset of this wretched disease. There's a lot of work being done on it. Even Markson suggested mm. uh, methodologies as to how it does this particular work. Um, one of the theories that's put up as to how caffeine and by implication the regular use of coffee, how coffee, caffeine can limit... Um, the, the development of Alzheimer's or dementia is to suggest that it interferes with the process known as hypoxia. Now, hypoxia essentially means starvation of oxygen. And the theory is that neurodegenerative diseases, such as dementia and Alzheimer's disease, uh, implicate this process of brain starvation due to hypoxia. Now, it's now being put forward that caffeine, and by implication, caffeine in coffee or other beverages, may hinder the outcome and the damage of hypoxia by interfering with the release of certain detrimental chemicals that hypoxia causes. So if someone says to me, oh, look, is there any explanation as to how caffeine, and by implication, the regular use of coffee, may uh, be shown to resist uh, dementia and Alzheimer's, I would put forward this possible hypothesis that's mentioned in the Alzheimer's Society paper that it could be, it could be associated with the way in which uh, caffeine and by implication coffee interfere with the damaging byproducts of hypoxia. Look, this is all very interesting, mm. early uh, emerging sure. research. Sure. Uh, so obviously we're not all going to run around and, and, and assume that caffeine's the silver bullet. And look, uh, there, 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 there's a downside to that because um, whilst... Isn't there always? <laughs> there's always a downside to it. But look, the, I would put it forward that the regular, enjoyable, uh, daily use of, of coffee, and I have, I've just mentioned to listeners that... I like to have about two to three cups a day and they're strong cups. I would put forward that it's worthwhile seeing that that may be of benefit. However, anyone using anything with caffeine in it has to always recognise the fact that caffeine in extreme levels, in extreme levels, can cause side effects and most people know what those side effects are. We'll come back and have a chat about sure, some of that sure. in a little while. Look, Carlo has re-emerged, okay. so we'll see if we can get you there. Carlo at the junction, uh, you've got some questions for Dennis today in and around the apricot kernel seeds and B17 pills. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you, Dennis? I'm well. How are you? 
Oh, fantastic. I've got to start with saying that you do a great service for the community with this program. Well, thank you very much. I've got a friend. Uh, he's uh, got melanoma. Yes. And I suggested apricot kernel seeds out of, oh, I suppose, hearsay and rumour. Yes. And um, he seemed to be taking him for a while, and then he's moved on to what they call these B17 pills because it's the highest strength or whatever like that. Mm. And um, he's sending the tumours, and he, he's getting a little bit on the desperate side of life. And the doctor yes. said there's not much more they can do for him. Yes. Um, he's even contemplating going overseas for some treatments. Yes. With the apricot kernel seeds, I understand cyanide and this B17, yes. whatever it is, is yes. in it. Yes, correct. Is it the cyanide and the B17 that's the helpful part, or...? What, what we're talking about here is a, a, a preparation however you call it, uh, if it's based on the apricot kernel, in my understanding it contains a chemical constituent uh, which is basically cyanide. Cyanide is a cellular toxin and is a very, very toxic substance. And if one, anyone is using it, they need to be aware of the fact that it's just not a vitamin as we understand it. Uh, it is a toxic substance. And I actually discourage people from using it because unless any cancer is being managed or monitored by a professional, I have seen the damages of that where people have taken on board something anecdotal and used it without letting their oncologist or their doctor know and end up in, in real problems. Um, I would be cautioning your colleague uh, to be very, very care careful with what he's doing and if he's doing it to make sure he's being monitored. Yeah, well, um, they're sort of not monitoring him anymore. He, he's moved to the um, B17 pills, which is without the cyanide. Uh, look, I obviously have to be cautious what I say at a topic like this. All that I would say is if I was in his situation, I would be very, very sceptical about claims that are made for that substance. And I hope to goodness he's not paying American companies a lot of money to get hold of products that make claims that wouldn't be allowed in this country. Yeah, I think he might be. Yeah. Uh, and that's, but again, that's, you, get, you get to a point... Sorry? No, go on, you're right. You get to a point where I think you, get to, you want to try almost anything, I suppose. Oh, look, I, I appreciate that very, very much, and I can understand his dilemma. What I hate to do, and I've seen a lot of this, what I would, what I would hate to see him do is dissipate the time that he has left and the money that he has left on on doing things that are just wasting time, causing stress, causing him uh, a, a lot of money when perhaps he should be a bit more realistic and realise that the diagnosis that's been given to him, if it's an accurate diagnosis, has an outcome that is only unlikely to be addressed by anything, yeah, certainly in the in the natural world. Good afternoon, Dave at Toronto. You'd like to talk to Dennis about intravenous vitamin C today. That's right. Um, I was just wondering if you could just run me by the um, benefits that it may have with um, treating uh, cancers that are already being treated with chemotherapy. Look, um, intravenous vitamin C to start with um, should only be done by a medical professional. It was, it was um, a very popular procedure, uh, in my experience, a number of years ago, 
there was a, a practitioner on the Central Coast, that uh, a medical practitioner that um, had a big patient uh, load who practised that um, for, for all sorts of conditions. Um, and many of my patients that saw me, uh, who were also being seen by this practitioner, claimed that using intravenous vitamin C improved their immunity. They felt uh, better resistance to some of the uh, influenzal conditions that they might have been working through or recovering uh, faster from things. Um, with reference to, to cancer, again, again, it's a big call to suggest that uh, vitamin C, even with uh, intravenous um, application, uh, has a significant role to play. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm a fan of vitamin C, mainly, however, when used as a, as a supplement, uh, taken orally, in other words. Um, I've not seen a lot of evidence to suggest that using vitamin C in this way as uh, almost an alternative cancer treatment has demonstrated, uh, in my experience, uh, the, the outcomes that a lot of people would like and are prepared to pay for. Um, uh, look, I can understand people uh, utilising various uh, techniques in order to achieve a benefit that's not being obtained, perhaps, uh, within the mainstream. And as I said to a, in, in response to an earlier question, unfortunately, I've seen a lot of people over my 40 years in complementary medicine uh, spend a lot of money, waste a lot of money, um, and not achieve uh, a benefit from utilising those things. Now, I come back to the point. Intravenous vitamin C has been used, is still being used. I know one or two medical practitioners that still use it. So I'm not going to put it down per se. All I'm going to say is that I'm not prepared to speak too optimistically about it with reference uh, to any um, application in cancer therapy. And I come back to the point that anyone that's accessing it should do so through their GP who would refer, I presume, to a practitioner, a medical practitioner that, that carries that out. Thank you very much to Dave and also for Carlo a little earlier on. Back to a coffee, mm. Dennis. Mm. Uh, the, the thoughts that with some emerging research that yep, it, yep, it, it yep. could actually be helpful in terms of dementia um, and, and anti-aging. Now, mm. you quite often mention ginkgo as well yep. in terms of dementia. Some differences yeah, there or look, similarities? Look, again, this touches on the point that I said right at the beginning of the program. Um, the condition is being researched. It's... Uh, being looked at from the point of view of what substances might be of benefit in, in limiting its onset, slowing down its development. And in that area, uh, the ginkgo emerged years ago and uh, conferences were held on it uh, years ago with reference to its uh, claimed benefit uh, for usefulness in, in addressing the early stages of it. But as I said earlier, a number of other natural substances are being looked at for instance, down the track, maybe in a couple of weeks' time or maybe even next year, I'll talk about the way in which various species of sage. Now, we talk a lot about sage, and it's a very common herb, but there's a lot of interest being shown in species of sage as also perhaps being useful in addressing this problem. And there is a degree of, how can I call it, pharmacological explanation 
how to a herb like sage might be useful also. Coming back to coffee, where does it fit in to the scenario? I guess what I'm trying to do is to say to people, look, uh, ginkgo is something that I use and will continue to use, and I believe in what I have said about it, that there is good information out there supporting my investment in it and my using it at this stage of my life as a means of perhaps offsetting the onset of this condition. But also there's nothing wrong with appending to that simple supplement lifestyle techniques. And if, for instance, you enjoy a cup of coffee, well, then what I'm suggesting is see it more than just an occasional cup to enjoy, but see it as potentially something so long as it is not decaf. Decaffeinated coffee obviously has none of these benefits. Bit of a no-brainer in terms uh, of a oh, conversation. Don't talk to me about it. But anyway, I won't go there. Uh, all I'm trying to say is if you enjoy a, a cup of coffee... You, you're dissing it because you don't like the taste, <laughs> aren't you? Which is fine. I have to be very cautious because all of my very naturopathic friends out there might not think that I use a lot of caffeine, but I have an excellent paper at home put out by the uh, American Herbalist Guild on the on the virtues of coffee and caffeine in medicine. All I'm saying is, look, if you enjoy a cup of coffee and you're drinking caffeinated coffee, realise that if you do it regularly, you may be locking into more than what you think. It might be just not a mild stimulant that gets you up and running, and it does that, but it might be having some benefit particularly if you're in that early stage where you think, well, gee, I'm not remembering as well as what I like to do, well, start to drink your coffee a little bit more regularly and drink it a little bit more stronger, perhaps, and see it also as not just a nice cup to <laughs> read the, the, the papers with, but as something that perhaps is locking into this information which, which is suggesting that caffeine in the system, ideally ingested uh, in, in, say, something like coffee... Uh, maybe doing something to lessen uh, the, the onset of these conditions. Once you have a coffee question for Dennis today. Yes, uh, I, was, I want to ask him something if he may have heard of it. Yes, Mike. Yeah. Uh, over oh, four or five years, I, I was having a couple of cups of coffee a day, nothing super strong, just an ordinary cup of coffee. Yes. But uh, every four or five times a week, I'd got this watery line through my eyesight and, okay. and my eye. Yes. And, and and this was going on, and uh, one time I asked the optometrist to check my eyes and told her about it, drew, drew a picture. Yes. Couldn't understand it. Anyway, one, one day I'd had a cup of coffee, and it sort of came pretty much, you know, within five minutes having the coffee. I thought, what well, if that's got something to do with it? Yes. So I stopped t having coffee, mm -hmm. and I stopped getting this watery line. Okay. And then later on, I've had another couple of cups of coffee, because I like the stuff. Yes. And uh, these watery lines sort of appeared, and I was wondering if you'd ever heard of anything like that. No, look, I haven't. The, the other thing that I'd come back to, however, is that um, caffeine is, is a, a physiologically active substance, and in, in coffee, if it's regularly taken and there is a regular load of uh, caffeine in your system, if you are on other medications, there is the possibility, remote as it might be, that the condition or a condition could emerge as a result of an interaction. But I come back, are you on much medication at all? Uh, 40 milligrams of uh, Enderal. 
Indwell. Okay, yeah. okay. Okay. Look, now, this is where you perhaps... Um, there could be something here because with with caffeine and with with coffee uh, containing caffeine, there could be an interaction because Indurel is a, a, a vasodilatory substance that's used, in fact, to address conditions uh, like like migraine. So it could be that in your particular case, in your particular case, your sensitivity to uh, to the uh, physiology or the pharmacology of Indurel was being increased or exacerbated by taking a load coming through your uh, coffee which increased the activity of it. Now, I might be way off the track, but uh, interestingly, caffeine is the basis of some medications that are used to treat uh, conditions that are managed by altering the diameter of the blood vessel. Uh, now, I know I've all gone all around the bush there. What no, I, not really. No, I think what, it makes sense. What I guess I'm saying is there are some individuals who are sensitive to caffeine and there is information in the literature suggesting that caffeine can interact with medication and the medication that you've mentioned is one that I would uh, have a little bit of um, reserve about because there is a potential, in my opinion, for your experience to be associated with the interaction between a high level of caffeine and that particular medication. Um, I think that's the best I can do. But again, probably your reaction is not a typical reaction uh, because there will be many, many other people experiencing a similar side effect and there, there would be many, many other people on the same medication that you're on. Um, are you taking it for migraine or anything like that? I oh, uh, trembling, shaking her hands. Okay, okay. Well, there again, um, that is a situation that could uh, occur as a result of even a mild interaction with that. I'd run it past your GP, although a pharmacist would probably uh, have, uh, how can I call it, a more pharmacological interpretation of the condition and perhaps it would be along the same lines as what I'm hinting at. I, I would be happy, in fact, if you were to ring my rooms at New Lambton, I'd be happy to look into the situation further for you to verify or attempt to verify what I have said, mm. that what you're experiencing or have experienced may be your idiopathic reaction to that interaction between two medicinal substances, one in the coffee and one that your doctor's prescribed. Pauline at Maitland, you've got a coffee question for Dennis. Oh, yes, I have. Hello, Pauline. Hello, Dennis. How are you? I'm well, indeed. Good. That's good. Um, Dennis, I'm just recovering from open-heart surgery yes. five months ago. Yes. And my surgeon and cardiologist told me that caffeine's a big no-no for me. Now, what would caffeine do to the heart? OK. As I said earlier... Caffeine is more than just a flavouring substance in coffee. It has physiological activity and, high, and significant levels of caffeine, and I'd have to say that significant levels of caffeine are what are called cardioactive. Yep. That is, they can, they can cause the heart to race, yep. uh, something that your cardiologist would not want, I suspect, no, when you're overcoming no. this. So... Um, the reason why people uh, frequently uh, use coffee recreationally is that it gives them that stimulus, yeah. uh, that improvement in blood flow. It, it's a coffee, it's a, or caffeine in coffee, 
What uh, about um, decaffeinated de- de- coffee? Does oh, that... well, that's a different thing. If there's, yeah. if there's no caffeine in it, you have no worries. Yeah. So yeah. You, your question has been a very good one because I don't want people to interpret what we've been saying today uh, as being just uh, open slather. Coffee is a safe substance as a, as a general rule, hence look at the coffee places round our town and everyone enjoys a cup of coffee. I think what your doctor was trying to say in your particular case, uh, a regular ingestion of, of caffeinated coffee could stimulate uh, a cardiovascular reaction that might not be in your benefit. Thank you, Pauline. Dennis, with exactly two minutes on the dot mm. to go, uh, caffeine, coffee as medicine, some mm. other uses around the world for other conditions? Well, it's a very, very interesting concept, this. We hear a lot about ADD and ADHD, and we know that a lot of kids in this town are on pretty potent pharmaceuticals mm. to try to address that issue. Overseas, particularly in South American countries, now this is a big call that I'm going to make here, and people might think I'm saying it tongue-in-cheek, Overseas, particularly in South American countries, where kids drink coffee from almost the moment they're born and continue drinking it, the incidence of these behavioural and learning disorders is considered to be much, much lower. And it's been put down to the fact that caffeine or coffee or other caffeine uh, brews that are taken in South America, mate tea, for instance, another good example. It's been said that the uh, ingestion of these natural substances, these natural beverages containing moderate amounts of caffeine, regularly taken, have a mild central nervous stimulating effect, which is essentially what the big heavy guns of modern medicine used to address this problem. And I've had a couple of instances of where parents have stated that in their kids, eight or nine or ten years of age, using a cup of coffee a day, particularly before school, has shown some improvement. Now, I'll not go further than that. I could go a long way and I'll be shot out of the water by those that say he's encouraging kids to drink coffee. Is it better to see a kid have a cup of coffee than to be on strong medication? That is a very interesting place to leave it. It is indeed. You can go back to your cup of coffee, Mark. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.